Welcome back to One Giant Podcast, as always, broadcasting on the Overtime Media Network and coming to you live from the Vivid Seats Lounge. And today, along with my host, Andy Makowitz, I am always Adam Arbrecht, and we're joined by a, a special guest on this one, friends. It's our first crossover episode since coming on to the Overtime Media Network. We're really excited to be joined by Scott Mason, who is the host of Play Like a Jet on TurnOnTheJets.com. Scott, thanks for coming in and joining us today. Thanks for having me, guys. Although I don't know how special I am. I guess we'll find out at the end of this. If, you, if you're on air with us, my friend, automatically you, up, you enter the upper echelon of, of special individuals. It's a fair point you make. Scott, thanks so much for, for joining, and I think we could jump in right away. While, while I think we're co-tenants at the beautiful MetLife Stadium, uh, some Giants fans may have been focused on uh, the debacle that's going on uh, uh, for Big Blue. What can you tell us a little bit about kind of the state of the union for gangrene, strengths, weaknesses, you know, through nine weeks of the season so far? Well, to answer that question, first, I'm going to need about a bottle of vodka. I'm going to need a couch to sit out on and some <laughs> tissues to cry into right now. because It's been real ugly this season with the Jets. I don't even know where to start. I'll give you the short version because the long version, this podcast would be about 12 hours long. Essentially, you know what happened with the drama in the offseason where – Adam Gates was hired as the new head coach, and then there was a power play, and he shoved Mike McCagnin out. This all occurred after the draft and after free agency. So Mike McCagnin spent all the money, used all the draft picks, and then they kicked him out the door. They hired a new general manager, and then you had this weird dynamic where Adam Gates was a really questionable hire from the get-go. I dug into all the head coaching candidates when the Jets were interviewing people, and Gase was the guy that I identified as the absolute worst one of the bunch that they so of course he's the one that they hired. And the funny thing is, all of the stuff that I brought, I shouldn't say I brought to light, but all of the stuff that I helped some Jets fans who are unfamiliar with Adam Gase understand about him from his time in Miami, from talking to people in Miami, having them on the show, all of that stuff has come straight out into the forefront now we're seeing it in, on full display players not liking him all kinds of issues in the locker room the stuff that was said about him being this offensive genius not necessarily the case you've had a million injuries which you could try to blame Gase a little bit for that because he had the same problem in Miami so maybe it's practice habits but this team has been cursed by injuries. I could just go down the list. Obviously, you know, the big one was Sam Darnold getting mono, which was just, you couldn't make that up if you tried. So the, the worst part is really that after all of the improvements that were made in the offseason and the new head coach and Sam Darnold going into his second year, you expected that if things went reasonably well, maybe the Jets would be in that 7-9 and nine to 9-7 nine and seven conversation because they added C.J. Mosley and Jamison Crowder, who you know well from watching the Giants because Crowder would play the Giants two times a year, seeing how dangerous he is typically. They added Le'Veon Bell. They added Quentin Williams in the draft. There were a bunch of improvements made. You had a new offense brought in Sam Darnold going into his second year, and it's just been worse than anybody could have ever imagined. I think the most scary part of it all, guys, and this is something that you will or won't experience with Daniel Jones, depending on how this plays out, is that Sam Darnold has been going backwards the last couple of weeks. He's looked scared in the pocket. He looks skittish. 
as everybody will joke now because it was caught on tape. He looks like he's seen ghosts out there. And that's the one thing that everybody was rallying around with this case hire was, okay, he's bad at everything except he's supposedly this offensive genius who's good with quarterbacks. So if nothing else, he'll be good with Darnold and he'll help take him to the next level. Well, unfortunately, he's taken him back a step. And I'm not going to say it's all because of Gase because this offensive line is putrid. It's one of the worst offensive lines I've ever seen in my life. But at the same time, to see three weeks in a row where Sam Darnold has just looked so bad. A friend of mine who breaks down Jets tapes had a joke. He said the best thing you could say about Darnold right now is that he's looking like Jameis Winston out there against the Miami Dolphins. And I like Jameis Winston coming out of college, but it kind of fits because this is a guy that has a ton of talent that can show you times where he's absolutely outstanding, but then he'll make those boneheaded mistakes. He'll make those throws that are absolutely unconscionable. And when he does that, then you sit there and say, okay, this is a guy that has the potential to lose us games. How did we get to this point when he was so strong at the end of last season and he looked so good coming off of the mono against the Dallas Cowboys. So that's really the short version of the state of the union for the Jets right now. What you're going to hear at MetLife Stadium even though it's probably going to be 50% or less Jets fans, we both know that, is you're going to hear a loud fire gaze chant, at least at the beginning. Maybe he'll quiet it a little bit if the Jets do well against the Giants, but you're going to hear a lot of that. And if Gase doesn't start to turn this around quickly, you're going to hear a lot of that the rest of the season. Clearly you haven't seen the Giants offensive line if you think the Jets is, is the worst one in the league. Um, <laughs> You know, one of the interesting stats to talk about uh, the Gase point, and that was something I wanted to bring up with you, is, you know, I went on Turn on the Jets and I saw some different nuggets and some different stats. And if you look at some of the quarterbacks uh, that have left the tutelage of Adam Gase and now are with other teams, Ryan Tannehill leads the league in completion percentage. Matt Moore, you know, under Andy Reid, you know, he was basically pulled off, off of the scrap heap and had a good four or five game stretch when Mahomes was out. Do you, do you put a lot of Sam's regression on the coaching of Adam Gase, or do you think it's just uh, the flurry of injuries, offensive line, and, and the mono situation that really kind of spiraled this thing out of control? I think it's a combination. We have to be fair to Gase. I hated the hire, and I still do, and I would like to see him gone. But I try to be fair with this. When Luke Falk was in there, I said, look, I know the Jets offense is putrid right now, but it's not fair to judge him based on an offensive line that couldn't block people in peewee football and a quarterback that doesn't belong in the NFL. And this is coming from somebody who liked Luke Falk coming out of Washington State. I thought he had the chance to develop into a decent backup at the NFL level, but clearly that didn't happen. So I try to be fair to Gase. And I think that you have to be fair in the context of Tannehill and Matt Moore, too, because Matt Moore has been in the league a million years. You could go back to the other situations that he's been in and compare them to Gase. I think that's more fair than two weeks with Andy Reid because of the small sample size. And with Tannehill, he's only been with Tennessee for a few games as a starter. So it's a little premature to go down that road. But what I can say is the way that he used Ryan Tannehill was very head-scratching. The thing with Ryan Tannehill, as my friend Travis Wingfield from Locked on Dolphins likes to say, Ryan Tannehill is what you'd call football dumb. So in other words, <laughs> Ryan Tannehill gets by on his physical ability. He's got a big arm and he's very athletic. He's not a guy that's going to sit back there and read defenses. He's not a cerebral quarterback. So you have to play to those strengths. You get him outside. You don't try and have him make reads 
You don't try and be the smartest guy in the room and game plan as though you have Peyton Manning. And unfortunately, a lot of the time in Miami, he did that. So while you saw a high completion percentage and you saw fewer turnovers, that's mostly the product of, of Gase's offense being kind of dink and dunk and sort of vanilla. And I think with Darnold, that's definitely playing into the regression. I think also, look, there's no way around this. Darnold is making a lot of the sloppy mistakes that people were afraid of coming out of school that had largely looked like they'd been cleaned up at the end of last season. The one thing he hasn't been doing, which is good, is that he hasn't been fumbling the way that he did at USC, but he's got a lot of sloppy footwork issues. Now, to his um, great credit, Darnold is able to complete a lot of passes with imperfect footwork, which is very, very rare. Very few quarterbacks at any level of football can do that. However, when you have bad footwork like that, it can often lead to a higher percentage chance that you're going to throw a bad pass, which we've seen quite a bit the last couple of weeks. These are things that coaching, especially somebody who's an offensive guru and a supposed quarterback guru, should have been able to continue to fix because last year with Jeremy Bates as the offensive coordinator who everybody hated so much, Darnold looked like he'd cleaned that up the last couple of weeks. He's reverting back to that, and you've got to point the finger at coaching for that, at least in part. The offensive line is killing him as well. As I said, you know, we could sit here and we could argue over who's worse, the giant offensive line or the jet <laughs> offensive line. That's like arguing over getting shot in the head or shot in the heart, right? Two really bad units. The Jets' offensive line can't block for Le'Veon Bell. He's running into walls. In fact, there's an insane statistic. Leading into last week, Bell had 93% of his yards after contact. 93%. Wow. So that tells you what the offensive line is doing for him, which is nothing. He's running into brick walls and everything that happens with him, he's making happen on his own. And they're not being able to protect Darnold in the passing game either. So that's why you see the Darnold seeing ghost thing. Uh, Jamal Westerman, former Jets uh, defensive lineman slash linebacker, I guess, depending on the scheme he's in, he's an edge rusher. He plays for the uh, Hamilton Tiger Cats now, and I had him on the show the other day. And he said that he thinks that played into the fumble that occurred for the safety uh, in the game against the Miami Dolphins, where Brian Winters and Sam Darnold were kind of looking at each other, trying to figure out what to do. He said he thought he saw Darnold look away for a brief second. Maybe he was seeing pressure that wasn't there and he was a little spooked and that kind of helped lead to that. Right. So I think it's really a combination of things. I think that Adam Gase is not helping matters with the way he schemes and with the fact that he clearly has not helped Darnold continue to get rid of those bad habits. I think Darnold himself has regressed back to those bad habits because of the fact that he's, as we said, seeing ghosts. And when you struggle, you tend to fall back into things that are familiar and comfortable to you, but that you really probably shouldn't have in your repertoire. And the offensive line is a huge, huge problem here too, because they're a big part of the reason why Darnold feels pressured and tries to do so much and, and will make these weird errant throws like the one against Miami where they were down near the red zone and he just chucked the ball up into the air out of nowhere to avoid pressure and got intercepted because he threw the ball with four dolphins surrounding a receiver, which you should never, ever do. As Ray Lucas likes to say, in a situation like that, throw the ball into the stands. So it's, it's a really complex thing in terms of it's not just Gase, but he is certainly a, a part of that problem, no question. 
Well, you know, and, and the funny thing about that is you're walking through, and it's not funny, it's more depressing for both Giants and Jets fans. You're walking through this list of issues. And when you look over at the Giants, and Andy and I have gone ad nauseum about this at times, especially around coaching, you know, Pat Shermer, is he, it, he, is he clearly a problem? Or is it that we just don't have the right amount of personnel on this team in order to be successful? The offensive line coming in, you didn't look at Nate Soldier as being a high-end talent in spite of paying him high-end money but he's actually taken an enormous regression on the offensive line. A guy like John Halapio has regressed at center for us, and our offensive line has all of a sudden become something we thought was moving in the direction of being fixed to now saying, well, we still have potentially three holes across this line, maybe even four, depending on what you think as far as long-term solutions go. You know, you touched on Darnold and his regression Do you think – you talked about calling for Adam Gase to get some of those fire Gase chants. Is this organization – more inclined to quickly move on from Gase or do you see any possibility that they are examining Sam Darnold in terms of his future at as the starting quarterback for this team because right now it seems like they're saying he's regressed like you said the issues that he had in college are creeping back up and if you brought in Gase and he ran out the GM and brought in his guy it would stand to reason that he's going to form the team the way he wants and ownership would give him that kind of latitude. Is there any, is there any chance that Darnold is not the starting quarterback for this team next season? I would put that at an incredibly small chance that he wouldn't be the starting quarterback barring injury. Unless he's so disastrous the next eight games, if he is, what he was against the Patriots the next eight games in a row, then maybe it's a different conversation. But Mm -hmm. I think as long as he shows enough glimpses, I mean, look, if you watch the Jets, you'll see it. There are plenty of times where you see that ability. You see it flashed. It's just that when he's under duress is when he's been struggling. And as people say, oh, well, when he has a clean pocket and he has time to throw, well, that's cool and that's great. But as we both know in the NFL – that's generally not how it's going to be. A lot of times you're going to be under duress and you need to be able to find a way to, if not always make plays, at least limit the amount of mistakes that you make in those situations. And that's something that's going to have to get worked on. I think they still believe in Darnold over the long haul. I would be very surprised if he's not the starting quarterback. In fact, I would say that the chances are, are almost zero that he's not the starting quarterback next year. But what I would say with Gase is, It's a really interesting situation here because the Johnsons uh, who own the team, Woody Johnson and his brother, who's the acting owner, Christopher, because Woody's over in England as an ambassador to the president right now, you have a situation where the ownership has always been very sensitive to public pressure, but also to public perception. And you're seeing those two kind of tug at each other right now. So the fan base is at the point where they're fed up and they're going to be chanting fire gaze. You could potentially see a bunch of empty seats down the stretch as a protest. You could also see some weird publicity stunts. We've seen this in the past with former general manager John Idzik when fans were rallying to try and get him out of here. So they're sensitive to that, but they're also sensitive to public perception. And the public perception is going to be, as you said, Adam Gase comes in here after being a failed coach with the Dolphins. He pushes out the general manager, who, by the way, 100% deserved to be fired, but still they kept him and were going to go forward with him and only pushed him out because Gase, who had no business having that kind of authority, shoved him out. Hmm. And then 
after all of this, after all of the backlash and a lot of the fans saying that, why would you make this higher after he was a failed coach in Miami? And Christopher Johnson saying at the press conference, I'm not here to win Twitter. I'm here to win football games. And then this all goes down and Darnold regresses and all that. Well, now you have a situation where people around the league are going to say, this guy played you for a fool, Adam Gase. And now after one year, after you let him do all of this, you're going to kick him out. And by the way, you're going to fire a guy after one year. This is going to look bad to potential coaching candidates who are going to say, oh, I'm not going to even have a chance. This could look bad around the league. So you have both of those tugging at each other. Plus, on top of that, you have a stubborn owner or acting owner in Christopher Johnson, who I'm sure does not want to admit he's wrong about, you know, going out and getting Adam Gase when so many people thought it was a bad idea. By the way, my theory on this is back on January 4th, 2003, the Jets handed Peyton Manning the most embarrassing loss of his career, a 41-0 drubbing in the playoffs on national television at the old Giants stadium. And in 2019, Peyton Manning finally got his revenge by recommending Adam Gase. As head coach. <laughs> so it was a long play, guys, but I think he finally got the Jets back for what they did to him. You got to work I, that long game sometimes. You have to. You got to play the long game. It's all about the, the end result at the, at the end. And if you can make it hurt the most, when it counts the most, then you got to go and do it. But I think that whole situation with his pride and also the fact that they would have to pay not only Gase, but they're also paying Mike McCagney, the former general manager. They're paying Todd Bowles, the former head coach, who's now in Tampa with Bruce Arians. They have to pay Joe Douglas, who you referenced before, who has a six-year contract to be the general manager. And then on top of that, they would have to pay a new coach. I think that as much as the fan base wants Gase out, myself included, if Gase shows enough over the next eight weeks, if Darnold starts to play better, if the team shows some signs of life, any excuse that ownership can use, they're going to take it and keep Gase. I think the only way Gase isn't here is if it gets so bad and if Darnold continues to regress so bad and the fan base goes so crazy, maybe then that gets Gase out of here. But I think that the odds of Darnold not being the starting quarterback are very slim. And I think that the odds of Gase not being here next year are probably not as high as a lot of the fan base thinks it is. It stands to reason because if you get rid of Gase this year, then it means you're going to put Darnold in his third system. If you, you know, so at this point, it's not dissimilar really to even even the Giants. I know Daniel Jones, rookie quarterback, but you know, Shermer, I could ease. I already have some of my concerns over Shermer after two years, but. Are you going to pull the cord on that and, and separate the coach from the quarterback that he, that he wanted to bring in, even though Gase and Darnold weren't tethered from the draft on? You still are talking about a guy who, if you go through the next season, which would be third year for Darnold, and if he still looks like he's regressed and isn't going to be the future, and if Gase doesn't look like he has the ability to coach this team, then you move on and probably make a clean break across the board and, and really reboot the franchise. Yeah, I – I think the smart move would be to just get rid of Gase, bring in a new coach, and start fresh with Joe Douglas as the general manager. Uh-huh. I think it's it's hard right now because Douglas is Gase's guy in a sense, but also if you're Douglas, you've got a six-year deal, so you have ironclad job security for the next couple of years, and you know that you're going to get three years after this, because the first year he came in under such weird circumstances and he didn't have the draft, he didn't have free agency, so there was only a limited amount of things he could do. But he knows that he only has one real shot to build this his way. He's going to have three to four years of non-interference to build this his way. He's got to look at this where Adam Gase is his friend, but 
it, you know, if he's going to have this shot, is Adam Gase the guy he wants to hitch his wagon to? Because now he's got to go out and, and get players in the draft and in free agency. So I, I think it's possible he attempts to hang on to Gase. And then if it doesn't work out with the two of them, you do a clean sweep at the end. I think it's far more likely that Douglas is here regardless. And then he ends up picking the next coach if Gase gets fired at some point. And the funny thing is, there's such a huge disconnect between what Jets fans think of Adam Gase and Joe Douglas. Most Jets fans have had it with Gase and want him out of here, and a lot of them weren't exactly happy about the hire in the first place. There was almost unanimous joy over the hire of Joe Douglas as GM, and most Jets fans are pretty happy with the job that he's done so far. Like I said, there hasn't been a lot for him to do because he wasn't here for free agency or the draft, but even little depth, depth moves like getting Nate Hairston from Indianapolis for a fifth round pick. And while Hairston had a really rough second half against Miami, he generally has been pretty solid at corner, which has been a welcome change from Tremaine Johnson and Daryl Roberts, who are two of the worst cornerbacks in the league. Daryl Roberts should be a fifth corner yet. He's starting and Tremaine Johnson. I'm now convinced was wearing a ski mask over his face. when he <laughs> A couple of years ago. So that was a good move. The Ryan Khalil thing didn't work out. They brought him in off the couch. But the way I look at it is they didn't have a lot of great options, so it was worth a shot. And the other move was Alex Lewis. They got the offensive guard from the Ravens. He had a bit of a rough game against the Dolphins, but he's been their best offensive lineman. It might be the only one of the current five that are starting that are here that is here next year. So a lot of optimism around Douglas and what he can do once he finally has the draft and free agency not anything around Gase in that regard as far as optimism. It's all pessimism at this point. So it really is a weird dynamic, and this goes to show you again why generally it's a smart move to hire the GM and the coach together and tie their fates together. And in general, you want the general manager picking the coach. Now, obviously, Gase and Douglas know each other. They have a relationship, and Douglas is partially here because Gase was the one that was pushing for him. But still, you wonder if Douglas had gotten this GM job before hiring a coach, is Gase the guy that he would have hired even though they're friendly? Maybe, maybe not. What would Douglas do as far as hiring a coach if he had the opportunity? That's a really interesting question too. Is there somebody else that he thinks is more aligned with his philosophy? So these are all a lot of questions that we're going to get answers to at some point over the next couple of months and, and maybe further down the line, depending on whether or not Gase survives. But yeah, this is just another example of the Jets doing things uh, ass backwards and not, not a surprise that it didn't work out because how many times have we seen the Jets do things like this where the, the general manager and the coach both report to the owner. So there's no chain of command really. Uh, the the head coach and the general manager get hired like right around the same time or they keep the coach fire the GM, bring in a new GM, and he's st- saddled with the, with the current coach, those kind of things. They've got to get this to the point where everybody else does it a certain way for a reason. There's nothing wrong with thinking outside the box, but a lot of times conventional wisdom is conventional for a reason. You know what I mean? Yeah, and Scott, you, you brought up a good point about Joe Douglas making some different moves and, and being applauded for the, for, you know, by the majority of Jet fans to date. You forgot one of the biggest moves, which kind of ties in nicely to the next question we had, was around Leonard Williams and the mm-hmm. Giants trading a third-round pick, uh, a fifth-round pick that could move to, to a fourth if the Giants sign him to a long-term deal. You know, as, as a Giant fan, we'd love to hear just a little bit more about 
Leonard Williams, the player for the Jets, uh, you know, what the Giants should be expecting, and then kind of your thoughts about the compensation that went back and forth for Leonard Williams. I actually almost nailed the compensation on the nose. I had it as a third and a fourth, and it may actually end up being that. It's a third and a fifth for now, but like you said, it could become a fourth if the Giants sign Leonard Williams before free agency hits, which could happen. This That's what yeah, Gettleman came out and said that they want to sign him. I think it was before Thanksgiving. I think they said they want to sign to an extension. Yeah, which I th- think would be a good move. And it's funny, you, you asked most Jets fans, and they're going to give you a different answer than I'm about to give you. I'm going to give you a lot more sunshine than a lot of them would because I actually like Leonard Williams a lot more than a, a lot of Jets fans did. It's funny because I didn't expect the Giants to be the team that would be in on this. I thought that it would be a contending team. But when you step back and look at it, it kind of makes sense because this is a younger team. Leonard Williams is only 24 years old, even though he's been in the league quite a few years. And he's a guy that if you can lock him up now, as opposed to hoping that whoever traded for him isn't able to lock him up and then go after him in free agency, maybe it's worth a third and a fourth or a third and a fifth for the Giants. The thing with Leonard Williams is he was picked number six overall in the draft and everybody expected him to be a dominant player and he never quite turned into that. What I will say though is that I think he performed much more like a mid to late first rounder than a top 10 pick. So he wasn't a guy that's going to get you a ton of sacks. That's just not who Leonard Williams is. But what he's going to do is a lot of the little things. He's going to take on double teams. He's going to free up opportunities for other people. And on top of that, he is going to be a nuisance for the quarterback and be a problem. A lot of quarterback pressures, a lot of quarterback hits. I think a lot of fans don't understand how valuable that is. Manish Mehta from the New York Daily News is on my, my podcast once a week. And we talked about this on the show. If you talk to opposing offensive coordinators, opposing offensive linemen, opposing uh, quarterbacks, you're going to hear a very different tale about Leonard Williams than you will from the Jets fan base because the Jets fan base will refer to Leonard Williams as an almost guy. Oh, he almost got a sack. He almost was able to get a loss. He almost made this happen, and then he doesn't get the sack or whatever. So a lot of people frown on him for that, and they say, oh, you pick a guy sixth in the draft. He performed more like a mid-round player. But what a lot of people don't understand is the value of the quote-unquote almost sack. It's a lot more valuable than, than people realize. Clearly, the sack is the, most, uh, is the best thing that can happen in that scenario. But I'll give you one example. During the Monday night game, the Giants and Cowboys were playing with the black cat running around before the game that I think both teams <laughs> should get into a bidding war for. There was a sequence where Leonard Williams pressured Dak Prescott twice in a row and forced two incomplete passes that led to a field goal rather than them continuing the drive and, per, and perhaps getting a touchdown. So I thought it was funny because Mark Canizero from the New York Post wrote about that as if it's some sort of major, fail, uh, major failure on Leonard Williams. End. And don't get me wrong, you would like sacks in that situation, but Leonard Williams in that particular sequence may have swung four points from the, from the Cowboys there because he was able to help limit them to a field goal. So that's really what I look at with Leonard Williams. I think he's a guy that's a really good player. He's not great. He's not elite, but he's a really good player. He does a lot of things well that don't necessarily show up on the stat sheet. He is going to be a guy that's going to help you pressure the quarterback, even if he's not somebody that's going to finish. He's not a finisher. But I think there's a lot more value in that than many people realize. And I think a third and a fourth was fair considering the fact that 
he's probably going to get paid pretty well. The Jets have a, a strong and deep defensive line, and so he was a guy they probably weren't going to be paying. But I think he, he was a good pickup for the Giants. I think he's a really nice player. I think he's much better than most Jets fans give him credit for because I'll tell you this, you go on Jets Twitter and you're going to see a lot of slander of Leonard Williams. I was one of his biggest defenders. I still am. Like I said, I think he had a really nice game for the Giants in his debut, especially considering on such short notice how you know he, he was traded on the Monday and a week later he was in that game playing significant snaps and pressuring Dak Prescott. So I, I think the Giants got a really nice player. And I think if they do re-sign him, then it'll, it'll be worth it because he's not going to be that sack artist that you, 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 know, you hope for with the sixth overall pick, but he is going to be somebody that will help that defense make an impact on the opposing passer, no question. Yeah, and we had looked inside the numbers on it that early in his for the first, I think, three seasons of his career, he was a top three in QB pressures, not not sacks, but QB pressures. I think to your point, sometimes I won't say I'm, you know, anything beyond a just super fan of the Giants, but I think fans in general, you like to see what deep touchdowns, you want to see big sacks, you want to see turnovers, but every component of a defense is important and has the value to making a quarterback throw the ball a little bit sooner than he wants to, and maybe give the back end of your defense an opportunity to get, to get an interception or to break up a pass, throw off the rhythm of an opposing offense. So I I liked this trade when they made it. I think that you can look for the giants potentially to move on from Tomlinson in the off season, because they maybe have a little bit of redundancy across their line and then recoup some of the value they gave up to get them. And then the secondary thing was, and I mentioned this to Andy on our podcast, and we were talking about this before we started uh, recording with Scott today. Once I hear Mike Francesa start to bash a move that the Giants make, I almost 100% know it's a fantastic move. <laughs> yeah, that's a pretty good benchmark for sure. Yeah, you know, it's funny what you just said about um, forcing the quarterback into uh, getting rid of the ball early or per- perhaps making errant throws. There was a play in the game, I think it was Prescott, uh, I forget who it was he connected with for a 42-yard touchdown. I want to say it was uh, the tight end, but I can't remember exactly. Uh, there, there was that play where Leonard Williams almost got to him, and he was able to release the ball and get the touchdown, which is why sacks are obviously pref- preferable to quarterback pressures. But what you were just saying is exactly right. Yes, Dak Prescott was able to release the ball, get the touchdown, even in the face of heavy pressure, but more times than not, that heavy pressure is going to cause a throw that is not on target and is going to disrupt the rhythm of quarterback. So it's really a matter of, you know, statistically regressing back to the mean. It reminds me a little bit, if you're familiar with a statistic in baseball, batting average on balls in play. So a lot of times you'll see a player who has an abnormally high average, about well above what he would generally have. And then you look at what his batting average is on balls in play and you say, oh, this guy's just getting really, really lucky. Eventually, this is going to get back to the point where it'll be a normal uh, percentage of uh, balls in play that go for hits. And then his average is going to go back down. And that generally ends up happening. And I think that's kind of the case here. Yes, there are going to be times when Dak Prescott releases for a 42-yard touchdown pass. But more often than not, it's not going to happen that way. More often than not, it's going to be like the two incompletions that he had that led to the f- them settling for the field goal. And as we know, this is a touchdown league, not a field goal league. So if you make teams settle for field goals, more often than not, if you have an offense that's capable of putting points on the board, you're going to be able to be at the very least competitive on a week-in, week-out basis. So, yeah, I, Mike Francesa is unfortunately one of those guys who has a very big platform, but 
doesn't tend to look very closely at anything beyond just, oh, this guy doesn't have a lot of sacks, okay? He's, he's clearly not a very good player. <laughs> well, and, and, when, and when you look at some of the stat lines that, you know, ESPN or NBC show during the games, you know, we all gravitate towards the interceptions, the sacks, the fumbles, but there's a reason why they have QB hurries and, and pressures on there because, as you said before, you know, Sam Darnold has a great ability to – make off script throws like he can still be relatively accurate when he has to move around in the pocket but you know if Leonard Williams is getting that much pressure it, it we're going to have a reversion back to the mean in terms of the you know percentage of those that should equate to a sack so I actually think his numbers might tick up it, uh, just with the change of scenery but um, I'm kind of with you I, I think it was fair compensation uh, especially knowing that the Giants have to are going to have to pay him to make it worth their while but Overall, he's the type of player, uh, based on our secondary being as weak as it is right now, that may be able to get that pressure to force the timing to happen on um, things a little bit faster. Yeah, and that's really a very valuable thing in today's NFL. Again, yeah, you want the guy that's going to get the sacks, but as Michael Nania, who comes on my show once a week uh, and does a great job breaking down the numbers, uh, always likes to say, even an elite player on defense who's a sack artist is going to get sacks two percent of his snaps so what happens the other percentage of the snaps the other 98 percent of the snaps that's really where you make your bones you we were joking a theoretical so Quentin Williams who I'm a huge fan of and think he's going to be a great player but he had a sack early on in the game against the Miami Dolphins and we were joking what if somebody did that every week like he had a sack and then the rest of the game did absolutely nothing came off the field didn't even play the rest of the way but then he would have 16 sacks a season and within 12 years he'd be breaking the all-time sack record <laughs> so we were joking about how that just shows you how ludicrous only looking at sacks is because you could have a player theoretically who makes one play a game every game in his career and does nothing else. And then everybody would say he's a perennial all pro and a hall of famer just based on making that one play per game. Whereas then you could have somebody who has five or six quarterback pressures is getting into stop the run, so on and so forth. But people say, Oh, well he's, he's overrated because he doesn't get sacks and he doesn't create turnovers and so on and so forth. And as far as creating turnovers, by the way, that's another example of what we're talking about looking beyond the stat sheet on Monday night against the New England Patriots, what was lost in that because the Jets got beaten down like they owed Bill Belichick money. Leonard Williams had two huge plays in that game that are not going to show up on the stat sheet. One of them was he got in on Brady and was able to force a throw that went right into Tremaine Johnson's chest, which is good because that's literally the only way that Tremaine Johnson <laughs> <laughs> the other thing that he did was he forced Tom Brady into an intentional grounding penalty, which right there is just as valuable as a sack because of the loss of down and the loss of yardage. So it's not going to show up on the stat sheet as a sack. The interception is going to go to Tremaine Johnson, but Leonard Williams was the guy that made that happen. And to be fair, he did start off very slow this year, but plays like that, a lot of that stuff Leonard Williams does on a fairly regular basis. There are going to be giant fans, I'm going to let you know right now, that are going to be very frustrated because they're going to say, oh, he doesn't get sacks, he doesn't get sacks. But if you watch the film back, you're going to see a lot of plays that Leonard Williams makes that don't show up on the stat sheet and, and how he makes a, a much bigger impact than a lot of people realize. And I think he's going to do some nice things for this Giants defense. Like I said, not an elite player by any stretch. Let's not confuse him with Aaron Donald 
or Fletcher Cox or somebody like that, but he's a, he a very a nice player. And when you're who, a bad team like the Giants are or the Jets, that's what you're looking for. You're looking for pieces that can be a part of the solution for your team. So even though he may not be the elite guy, and I think you're right, but if he can be an improvement, if he can help this team be better, then that's really what, where this franchise is right now. Before we do get into, the, into some of the, the lines on the upcoming game, were you at all surprised that the Jets didn't make more moves around the trade deadline? You know, because I, I, don't, I don't think there was a lot of legs to the, to the Adams possible trade there. I don't know if maybe the Jets were setting that high of a bar in terms of what they wanted in return for him. But I maybe thought that the Jets were going to try to move a few more pieces, given, again, that there are going to be players that are from the past regime and that maybe Adam Gase didn't want signed before he took over. Did you, did you expect more to happen prior to the Thursday trade deadline? It's weird because Leonard Williams was the one guy that we all knew was going to be gone. And then beyond that, we were speculating about Robbie Anderson, for example. Mm-hmm. And we were thinking that maybe somebody like Jordan Jenkins or Marcus May could be had for the right price. Le'Veon Bell was an interesting one. It made sense, but we all were kind of like, oh, they just got him. Would they really do that? And then you had the Jamal Adams thing, which kind of popped up out of nowhere. I was mildly surprised that they didn't do anything beyond Leonard Williams. I think what happened with Robbie Anderson was they realized that Robbie is Sam Darnold's best weapon in the passing game. And so if you're trying to still develop him and not take him backwards, even if you've decided that you don't want to sign Robbie Anderson after the season to rip him away, is it really worth a fourth round pick or something like that when you can possibly get a third round compensation pick? And even if you don't, is a fourth rounder worth the long-term damage you might be doing to Darnold by ripping Anderson away from him? So from what I understand, they set the price at a second round pick and nobody was willing to meet that price. So that's why he didn't go. They were listening to offers for other players. Le'Veon Bell, what I understand, they asked for an exorbitant price. It may have been in the range of a first or a second round pick and, and no team was willing to meet that. It wasn't that they were looking to trade Bell necessarily. It was just that, they figured, okay, we're a team that's going to need to accumulate draft picks and really rebuild this thing from the ground up. So if somebody's willing to blow us out of the water, now they may revisit this in the offseason, obviously. They may decide, we don't want this contract, we need the draft picks, and then they might aggressively shop Bell. But from what I understand, that was really where that was. And Jamal Adams, (laughs) I did numerous shows on this because when you do a daily Jets show, you get to the point where this becomes the biggest story and people really want to hear the ins and outs of it. Social Along- media savant Jamal Adams. Oh, God. Yeah, well, <laughs> that whole thing. I mean, I'll say this: the intel I have, and you know, I, I've heard this from several people, is that Jamal Adams' agent approached the Jets a couple of days before the deadline and said that not necessarily that he was asking for a trade or that he was demanding a trade, but that if the Jets wanted to trade him, he would be okay with it. So then for him to come out and act all indignant. But if you, if you look, he was very careful with his words. He said, I absolutely did not ask for a trade. Well, sure, but your agent said you'd be okay with a trade, which is a soft way of asking for a trade. <laughs> right. Semantics at this point, yeah. Exactly. And the other thing with, with, with Adams is you got to follow the trail. Ryan Clark, who's his boy, who everybody knows is his media mouthpiece, is on TV saying that morning of the trade deadline, Uh, Jamal Adams wants out. He wants to go to Dallas. That, to me, is a smoke signal to the Cowboys. Hey, pick up the phone and make a phone call. From what I understand, Douglas was not shopping Adams. 
he wasn't looking to trade Adams, but he was essentially doing what you do when you have something you really love and somebody else really wants it. You'll say, look, I'm not looking to get rid of this thing, but if you want to give me X, Y, Z, you know, H, I, J, K, elemental P, then I'll consider it. So the, the best example I could give you is, you know, if you, let's say you have a stamp collection or a baseball card collection or something like that, and you've spent years building that collection and you love that collection, but somebody wants it and they say, I'll give you $5,000. You say, nah, not $5,000. But if you give me a million dollars, I'll sell you this stamp collection. Right. If the person turns around and says, sure, I'll give you a million dollars. Okay, well, there you go. Joe Douglas, from what I understand, for, and this comes from Schefter and then the other part of it, I think, came from Rappaport, but the piecing it together, when the Cowboys called, he asked for Zach Martin, which obviously the Cowboys were not giving him Zach Martin. Then he asked for Tyron Smith. Obviously, the Cowboys were not giving him Tyron Smith. Then from there, the asking price was a one and two twos. Now, listen, I love Jamal Adams, great player and all that. He's a, he's a safety. A one and two twos is an insanely steep price. So Douglas was, ask, was basically making what, what they call the FU offer. He was saying, look, not trading this guy, but if you really want, want him that bad and you want to give me this insane price, then we can talk about it. So I, I think this may change in the offseason because I think that the, the waters may have been muddied. I know Adams came out recently and said he's now finally talked to Douglas and Gase and he's pumped up to be here and all that. But who knows what's, what's really going on there. That could just be a front. I, I think there's a, a very good chance he does get dealt in the offseason. Uh, who it ends up being to, nobody knows for sure because apparently the Ravens actually made better offers than the Cowboys did. So maybe that ended up happening. But that was the big surprise. The rest of it wasn't shocking. Like I said, mild surprise that Robbie Anderson didn't get dealt. But it wasn't like you know I was falling out of my chair shocked or anything like that. Well, the, and, and I think what Adam and I were saying before is we were surprised that the Giants didn't make more moves. We thought that trading for Leonard Williams meant that there was going to be other dominoes to fall. Um, but as we said uh, right before our last show, this is kind of the team that we have for the rest of the year. And, and we have the next – you know, uh, seven, eight weeks to be able to, to figure out what, what kind of team we're going to be, what kind of heart we have, and who's going to be here from the coaches and the players. Okay, before we dive into the matchup this Sunday between the New York football giants and the New York Jets in East Rutherford, New Jersey, got to tell you about the Vivid Seats app. If you haven't been using this app, if you've been living under a rock, crawl out of there. It's cold. It's getting into the winter time. Get indoors. Get yourself a cell phone and download the Vivid Seats app. Whether you do it through the App Store or Google Play, when you do it, you will automatically be enrolled to the Vivid Seats Rewards Loyalty Program. It means that every time you make a purchase, you're going to earn credits back. Back and you can apply those to future purchases. And it's not just about getting tickets to see the Giants take on the Jets. You can also go on there for big concerts you're looking to check out, or maybe this holiday season going into the city to see a little theater action with a significant other or some family members. You can do it all through the app, and it gives you the opportunity to select by section, by row, by seat, guarantee that you get the perfect view for the perfect event that you're looking to check out. And every purchase that you make is back by a 100% buyer guarantee. Nothing is guaranteed in this life, friends. I didn't know if I was going to be guaranteed to have clean socks in the drawer this morning, but I did. And you can have a 100% buyer guarantee when you purchase through the Vivid Seats app. And... 
for first-time buyers, the new users, you can enter the promo code OVERTIME. That's O-V-E-R-T-I-M-E at checkout to receive a discount of up to $100. So when it's time to buy and you are a new user, after you've gotten out from underneath that rock, enter promo code O-V-E-R-T-I-M-E, that spells OVERTIME, at checkout to receive a discount of up to $100. We've got the 1-7 in seven Jets, the 2-7 and seven Giants, three wins between the two teams. You know, it's kind of laughable when you say that, but Scott, what are your expectations for Sunday? What do you (laughs) want to see from the Jets? We haven't really even talked about the Jets' defense at all. What do you want to see from the Jets' defense? And I think the, the, the quintessential question that everyone has is, do you want the Jets to win? (laughs) Well, from the Jets defense, what I would like to see is for them to make life uncomfortable for Daniel Jones, because I'm sure you guys can relate to this. The one thing more than anything else at this point that I don't want is I don't want Daniel Jones to play well and Sam Darnold to not play well. And then I have to listen to my giant fan. That's the dream, buddy. That's the dream. (laughs) Exactly. Because listen, I'll be honest with you. I thought and still think to an extent we'll see if he proves me wrong that the Daniel Jones pick was borderline insane so uh, to see him outplay Darnold who I thought very highly of and was very excited for the Jets to get would just be a dagger at this point especially considering how the season has gone I would love to see the defense make Daniel Jones very uncomfortable and force him into fumbles which he's been doing a lot of and and maybe some interceptions and, and all of that I'd also like to see the uh, defensive line and the linebackers just be able to get into the backfield more because they had a lot of trouble getting to Ryan Fitzpatrick last week, which is sad on so many different levels. As far as whether or not I want the Jets to win, unfortunately, the Jets are in a weird catch-22 from hell right now, right? Because if the Jets win games and if Darnold looks good, then Gase is probably going to stay. If the Jets don't win games and Darnold doesn't look good, then Gase is gone and the Jets get a much better draft pick. But now, as we were talking about before, you go into next season going, wow, Darnold really regressed. Is he the guy? Should we start making contingency plans? And I'll tell you something, as a Jet fan who has watched this quarterback circus for so many years, every time you think you might have the guy, Chad Pennington's an example. Chad Pennington was outstanding the first year that he was a starter, and he looked like he was going to be a top five quarterback. That's how good he was. And then he hurt his wrist, and then he hurt his shoulder. And to his credit, he actually ended up being a solid starter, even beyond the fact that his shoulder was practically ripped out of its socket, but he never was able to be that guy. Mark Sanchez was somebody that we were hoping was going to bring his game to the next level after he improved a little bit from year one to year two, but then he regressed and never got back on track. And you could go back even further. Ken O'Brien was a really good quarterback, but the Jets passed on Dan Marino to take him. Browning Nagel was a huge bust. We could go down the line. If Sam Darnold ends up not being the guy that we were hoping for and the guy that we thought he was going to be out of USC, that is the most disastrous result that you could have. So to answer your question, I'm torn on whether or not I want the Jets to win the game. I want Darnold to look good, but I also wish Gase wasn't going to get some of the credit for it if he does, but I know that he will. (laughs) 
But this is kind of one of those. There's no good result. No, you know what? But and again, though, the, the parallels between this team, they they feel so similar because having having Daniel Jones, you know, it's like I want to see him play well. I want to see him cut down on the turnovers. But we always highlight every week if Daniel Jones can play a clean game, then you potentially think that the Giants could maybe get a win on a given week because, as we know, turnovers dictate so much of your ability to have success. So, you know, I want Daniel Jones to do well, but I also have not been a big fan of Pat Shermer. So I don't want them to get to that five-win mark or six-win mark somehow and have it be saying, well, see, see the progress that we've been making? Because I don't, regardless of whether or not Shermer were to get fired after this year, which I don't think there's a very slim chance of that happening, but getting, getting him too much credit is not something I'm looking to have accomplished here. And then on top of which, when you talk about the, the needs for either one of these teams, really, but obviously in the draft, if the Giants are a top three, top three pick, it means you're in play for an offensive tackle, for a starting left tackle that plugs in and replaces Nate Soldier and cures one of the biggest ills when you have a young quarterback. So, you know, Daniel Jones' success could also be to his own detriment going into next year if we play, quote-unquote, too well. Although, from the looks of it, when you put, when you look around the league, four or five wins is still going to be in that top, you know, seven selection in the draft probably. And that's, that's a reasonable place to be. But I said, Andy, it's one of the first times where I come into games kind of, you know, tentatively – being a fan who I almost always say, I just want, I want the Giants to win. If they can win a game, win a game. And this is one of the first times where I, where I kind of go, or maybe you play well and you still come up short on a coaching blunder. That'd be okay. You know, so it's a difficult spot to be in, I think, for these last handful of, handful of weeks for sure. I think what you probably want is something similar to what happened with the Jets at the end of last season where Darnold played lights out the last month and was the highest rated quarterback in the league. And at the same time, the jets didn't win games. That's yeah. probably what you want because then you get the good draft pick. The only downside to that is Shermer. It depends how bad you want him out. I was actually joking earlier this week that this could, this game could make NFL history because it could be the first time that I've, that I'm aware of considering the fact that you're going to have so many giant fans there because the teams share a stadium that you could have, long chance for firing both head coaches <laughs> at some point in the game. And I'd have to look this up with a lie sports bureau or something, but I'm pretty sure that's never happened before. If Jets-Giants fans could join in unison to help each other chant for the firing of their respective coaches, it would be a beautiful moment for the fan base just to come together. That's what I was saying. I, I asked uh, uh, John Schmilk, my buddy who works for the, the Giants, I said, do you think Giants fans – are going to join in on the fire gaze chance. He's like, yeah, why not? We're all, we're all in the mood for a good firing. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get you out of here. I know we've kept you uh, for quite a while today, but if you could give us a quick prediction, wh- what's your expectation for the game in terms of, of who wins point total? Looks like it's 44 and a half spread. Looks like it's about two and a half, three. Any, any thoughts on, on what you think the final score is going to be? That's <sighs> a tough one. Uh, I tend to think this is going to be close because I think both teams are going to look really bad and it's just going to be a matter of who wants it less. Uh, man, if I had a guess, I'll say 2017 and I don't know who I want to pick here because every time I pick the Jets, it jinxes them and every time I pick against them, it jinxes them the other way. So I don't know what to say here. I'm going to, man, I'll say it's going to be 2017, and I'm going to take the, the wimpy way out and say that it could go either way. 
Oh, he feathers he feathers the line on it. I mean, well, and if when Andy and I do our pick selections each and every week, it takes me a solid seven to eight minutes to round into finally saying what I think is going to happen for the Giants. But this is one of the ones where I really do think it's along the lines of what you're saying. It feels like this push scenario because both teams are playing to mediocrity or slightly below it, and. I could easily see the defenses for these teams looking better in this game because of how the offenses have struggled at times. But, you know, Andy and I said week in, week out that, again, it, it, without, without turnovers, potentially you could see the Giants' offense start to move the ball, to start to accomplish something. Last week against the Cowboys, you mentioned it earlier, Scott, field goals are never going to win you games in the NFL, and the Giants kicked a ton of them. So, you, you know, you knew you couldn't accomplish it, but they were in the red zone. They were inside the 10-yard line four times and had to take field goals. So potentially if they could convert those, I could certainly see them maybe putting up some points against the Jets. But – I tend to go close to what you where where you're at. I'll go, and again, same thing. I don't want, I don't know if I want the Giants to win, but I'll say 20, 24-17, and I, and I think I think the Giants will take this one because I think they need a victory just for some morale boost at this stage of the season. Yeah, I, I could see that happening for sure. I think it's going to be a pretty tight game. If I were a betting man, I would stay away from this because I just don't know which way it's going to go. Like I said it almost feels like this is going to be a, a battle between two teams and who's going to want it less. I mean, uh, the, the joke with the Dolphins game last week was I have a buddy of mine who's a Browns fan who texted me. He was watching the game. I guess he, he had it on in his area, and he said, man, this is ridiculous. The Dolphins are begging the Jets to take this game, and the Jets just won't do it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. it was. The Dolphins are giving them a million opportunities, and the Jets just – I mean – I'm offering you free caviar. I'm saying enjoy the caviar. Take, have the champagne. I'm, I'm telling you, it was ridiculous. There was a point where the Jets, despite all the misfirings, they, with about seven minutes to go, they had the opportunity to drive to tie the game. And it's just like, wow. And the Dolphins, you know, obviously we all know that they're tanking. So the, the joke was, I don't know if you've ever seen the movie Major League, but it, it reminds me of, of the part where they were winning too many games and the owner was getting upset because the whole premise of the movie is she wanted them to lose so the attendance would drop and they would get out of the contract and move the team from Cleveland to Miami. So she's like, Don't, we're kind of, we can't, what's going on? These guys are playing too well. They're winning too many games. Attendance isn't dropping as much as I thought so the GM who was appalled at what the owner was doing starts joking around and going I got an idea why don't we start giving out bonuses you know 50 grand for the player voted least valuable player 100 grand for the guy that gets picked <laughs> off first the most you know, that kind right. of thing. I was saying like Brian Flores was probably in the locker room going guys I need to make adjustments here in the second half to make sure that we don't score as many points in the second <laughs> half that we did in the first half the next guy that misses a tackle in a really sloppy way, $50 gift card to Starbucks, you know? They had, they had, they had a, the classic bounty gate, but in, rever, but in reverse. I, I, I'm giving out bonuses if you do not hit that player as he is t- towing down the sideline trying to go for a score. If you get trucked by a running back, I'm going to give you a $100 gift card. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, well, listen, should have used the live chicken. You know, that's, that's, what, that's how it always goes, but – uh, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll get, we'll let you get out of here, Scott. We, we again, appreciate so much just coming on and giving us uh, some of your time and a ton of, of, of insight from not only the jet side of things, but also on our big blue giant disaster season. Uh, as we mentioned at the top of the show, you can find Scott Mason over on play like a jet podcast and on turn on the anywhere else that you'd like people to, to track you down. If they haven't found you, Scott, though, though, we all know you're a big name in the business. 
Oh, yeah. Real big name. I'm almost as big as Mike Francesa, the number one. Um, <laughs> <laughs> hey, you can find me on Twitter at play like a jet one. Some wise guy took play like a jet and never uses it. So I'm at play like a jet one. And like you said, you can subscribe all the places that you would normally get podcasts, Apple, Google, all that. I do a daily seven day a week jet podcast seven days a week of jets so if you're bless you kid, sir <laughs> <laughs> glutton for right? punishment yeah i'm telling you but if you're a jets fan or even somebody that wants to check in on the jets here and there for a variety of reasons like this week for example if you're a giants fan and you want to hear some stuff uh we we have a a, a great lineup of, of guests each week manish meta from the new york daily news comes on in the middle of the week to give all the news Matt Stipikoski from NJ.com and New Jersey Advanced Media comes on after the games, and we do a full post-game report, go inside the locker room, all that. We do the pre-game report. That comes out on early Sunday mornings, and, and the beautiful thing about that, guys, is that not only, do I, uh, not only am I joined by an esteemed member of the beat, Chris Nimbley, of JetsInsider.com, but I'm also joined by Dr. Steven Stoller, a 35-year orthopedic surgeon who breaks down the injury report. And just as an example of, of what he brings to the table, he had been saying for months that Blake Cashman, the Jets' rookie fifth rounder, that he had noticed something with, with the way that his pads were, were um, aligned and he was wearing a harness and he thought that he was playing with a bad injury. And sure enough, Cashman ended up getting shut down with the exact injury that the doc thought that he had. So that's really cool. Ed Valley, my buddy from Empire Weather, comes on and, and gives us a weather report. So we'll, I, I should know for you guys uh, in short order what the, uh, what the weather is going to be like at MetLife Stadium on Sunday. It's funny because uh, when the Jets played the Giants and they had that long rain delay, he texted me an hour before the rain came and said, about an hour from now, it's going to rain really bad. <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> a half hour delay, and he nailed it right on the button. So that's how good he is. And then the best part of the pregame report, guys, is that my brother Craig, who is a professional gambler and a professional poker player, he comes on because he, he's a, you know, he has this savvy with the betting lines, and he makes his picks. So even if you're like, oh, I don't know if I want to hear about the Jets today, you can hear my brother Craig's picks and cash in and make a few bucks because he's been on fire lately. He had the Ravens beating the Patriots last week, for example. He's been killing it on his teasers. So that's a really fun thing that we do. And then throughout the rest of the week, Michael Nania, who I mentioned before, comes on and talks about statistics. So we go through all the numbers involving the Jets. We actually talk quite a bit about Leonard Williams on the show that's going to air on Saturday this week and the whole sacks versus almost sacks phenomenon. And yeah, like I said, daily Jets content. If you're a diehard Jets fan or you're somebody that just wants to check in once in a while, we, we've got content for you for days, weeks, months, years, all that. We're actually about to hit our 500th episode, if you can believe it. Good gravy. We're, uh, we're, uh, we're young. You were young in ours, so we just crested our 10th episode, which I think is basically comparable. But uh, <laughs> listen, I actually I did. I, I uh, listened in on the Manish Mehta episode that you had just posted up, so I was soaking in some of that information. Obviously, I don't need to convince anybody that you are connected with a lot of individuals or in and around the game, giving a ton of insights when it comes to not just the Jets, but football in general. So once again, if you're looking for a great Jets podcast and sports podcast in general, play like a Jet, head over to turnonthejets.com and obviously follow Scott on, on all the social media platforms, specifically Twitter. And if you can, maybe hound this other heckler who stole his, his tag and let's get him off of that name. I think that Scott Mason has done enough he deserves to have his name back. We're going to start a little bit of a mini campaign on your behalf. 
Thanks, guys. I appreciate that. Let, let's see if we can get that going. Although at this point, the uh, the number one is funny because it just makes me think of my Francesa. Number one, play like a death one. Num- number one, number one, number one on the radio. Number one in my house. Number one in the shower. Say that uh, you guys are obviously the number one Giants podcast. So uh, the, 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 you have the official <laughs> endorsement of uh, the number one, Mike Francesa. Well, thanks again. Thanks again, Scott. Hopefully we can connect down the line and see how miserable it turned out for the Jets and Giants by the end of this year. We'll be, we'll be listening in. Yeah, absolutely, guys. It's a pleasure. Thanks for having me on. Hopefully we can do this again sometime soon. Uh, maybe you guys can jump on, on my show at some point. And yeah, let's see how this turns out on Sunday because I have a feeling there's going to be a lot of laughing, a lot of crying, and probably not a lot of cheering. <laughs> <laughs> thanks again, Scott. All right, Andy. So obviously, as we wrapped up a fantastic interview with Scott Mason, we got his take on what the expectations are for the upcoming matchup with the Jets and Giants. But as we take a look over at the over-under, not just for that game, but around the league on mybookie.ag, give me a game pick that you're looking outside of the New York area right now. What's something that you're, you're trying to get on some of the action as we head into Sunday? I've been hot lately, and I have a pick for our listeners. If they go over to mybookie.ag, there is a juicy over-under in the Arizona Cardinals versus Tampa Bay Buccaneers game. The over-under is 52. Both defenses can't stop anyone to save their lives. This is going to be a shootout. The Buccaneers just gave up what felt like 100 points to the Seattle Seahawks last week. I expect it to be a shootout uh, in Tampa this weekend. So if you head over to mybookie.ag, I would be placing a couple of uh, dollars onto the over 52 fantastic see it's not just that we're not just giants based here we're going to give you some things to look at outside of the new york media group but beyond that when you head over to mybookie.ag obviously we can you can find nfl betting lines nba nhl ncaa hoops and all the other obscure sporting events that you may want to get into what were the uh, what's the over under and the uh, line on the giants jets game so right now, the New York Giants are favored by three points against the Jets on Sunday with an over-under of 44 and a half. Whew, there you go. And it sounds like the kind of game that you wouldn't want to touch with an 80-foot pole if you're a Jets or Giants fan or anybody around NFL. But if you head over to mybookie.ag, you can find these betting lines as well as over-unders and some other obscure parlays. Or maybe you want to take a look at a couple of the favorites of the week that are setting up over there. And when you do head over, if you join right now, mybookie will match your deposit halfway all the way up to $1,000. That means that if you deposit $2,000, Andy, you could get an extra $1,000 in free money to play with. All you have to do is use the promo code OVERTIME, that's O-V-E-R-T-I-M-E, to activate the offer. Once again, promo code OVERTIME, O-V-E-R-T-I-M-E, to take advantage of MyBookie's generous sign-up offer. Visit MyBookie.ag today for all of your NFL, NBA, NHL, NCAA lines. You play, you win, you get paid. With that wrapped up, Andy, and when we were speaking with Scott, he, he, he walked the line on this one, right? He said 2017, but he didn't really say who he thought was going to win. I, I threw out a number because I was, I was in conversation. I was, I was feeling excited. But what are your expectations from this game? Do you, do you think the Jets and Giants are getting over that 44 and a half? And do you think that the spread is getting covered here? I don't – this is the first time in a few – games where I don't think that there's going to be a lot of points scored. I think 
Um, while both te- defenses are in the bottom seven or eight in the league, they're both giving up over 25 a game. I, I still kind of look at this as a going to be a struggle on the offensive side of the ball for both teams. I think, you know, the, the first team to 20 probably wins this game. Well, we were talking about it with, with Scott as well. I, I kind of thought maybe this is the game where both defenses look a lot better than they really are because of the offensive struggles. But the reason why I maybe think, and I'm not talking about a lot of points, but getting into the 20s anyway, I could see the Giants' offense maybe eliminating some of their turnover concerns and then having some success. You know, last week we talked about it in the Dallas game. Giants only get 18 points, but they were inside the 10-yard line four times in that matchup. If two of those are converted as touchdowns, you're talking about an eight-point swing there and, you know, and being up into the mid-20s. So do you, you don't, but you don't see that being the case here. You're thinking this thing is under 20s. You're talking about a, a, nine, a 9-6 final. Well, I don't think it's going to be the, the, the field goal shootout. Um, but I do think that the teams are going to struggle a little bit putting points up on the board. I mean, the Giants have only had a handful of games where they've gotten over over 20 points. Um, and I kind of feel like that's the benchmark. If, if the Giants can get over 20, I think that they win the game. And that's kind of what the over-under is telling us. Um, Adam, so-, so are you sticking with your prediction? Or, or are, you, are you going to slightly modify it? You know what? No, I'll hold true to it. I, I think that it could go. I could go a little bit lower, but I'll stick with what I said. Twenty four seventeen, and I, I kind of against my better instincts in terms of what I want for the for the off season for the Giants. I think the Giants will get a win here, and I think it'll be a little bit of a, a mini morale boost for a team that has certainly struggled. So I could very well see that happening. I kind of think this game is a coin flip. It, it is unique. It could. It could. I feel like anything could possibly happen that just could win this game by. T- 20 the Giants could win this game by 20 it depends uh, which team's deficiencies really show through uh I uh, unfortunately am going against the Giants again and, and I think the final score that I have is 17-13 Jets wow okay so I mean you're calling for not only not only that the Jets are going to win here but also that the Giants offensively are going to be borderline abysmal I mean I, I mean 13 points you, you know you're, you're saying it's going to be a disaster from them from an offensive standpoint. Yeah, I mean, I just I don't have confidence that we can put the ball in the end zone consistently right now. So a touchdown and two field goals kind of puts me at that number 13. I hope if you know things swing our way or the defense can you know make a big turnover, maybe we get an extra touchdown that pushes us to 20. So that's kind of where I'm at is I think we're at 13 unless the defense uh, uh, finds the way to make, make a big play. All right, and listen, a little bit of reverse order here. I will dovetail our game predictions with what I think could be a nice little pickup if you're looking around the fantasy landscape. Uh, You know, Jamison Crowder, I I think, is a guy that could have a solid day uh, in this matchup. He's not going to be the number one. Obviously, Robbie Anderson is going to be taken care of by Janoris Jenkins or at least covered by him primarily. We obviously know that Baker has struggled. We know that Grant Haley has struggled. So if Crowder can move around this field a little bit, I think he's going to have an opportunity to have that five or six, you know, 65 plus yard kind of day that could really be a nice little flex play option for someone out there. Anyone that you're keeping your eye on? Yeah. Uh, tight end, uh, just tight end Chris Herndon uh, has been a name that's been floated around for the last couple of weeks. Uh, coming back from injury, uh, played a big role for the Jets in the, in the back half of the year last year. He's uh, expecting to play. If he does, he is one of those tight end streaming options 
especially with the uh, bye week, having so many different teams on bye this week. I think he is a, a nice sneaky play. The other thing that I would say is uh, I think Golden Tate is going to be in for quite a bit of, of heavy targets uh, this week. You know, we, we talked about the Jets. Uh, uh, Daryl Roberts is going to be out, and whether that's a good or bad thing for Jet fans, uh, he's not going to be playing. Uh, Tremaine Johnson has not looked great. The cornerbacks for, for the Jets and, uh, have not been great, and I expect uh, Daniel Jones to try to exploit that using someone like Tate. Okay, and let's go ahead and you know, we'll wrap this up. We haven't done this before. It always ends up on social media. But why don't you go ahead and give me your Daniel Jones stat line in this one, and then we'll, we always encompass this on our Instagram account, and we certainly get a little banter going there on game days. What do you expect Daniel Jones to do then? If the Giants are only putting up th- 13 points, I can't imagine you, you have a lot of lofty goals for him. No, I, I have a very conservative stat line for him. I hope that he proves me wrong, but I, I see it as a, as a field position punting type game, try to take your – Take, take the angles whenever you can see them. So my stat line for Daniel Jones is going to be 17 of 29 for 204 yards, one touchdown, and two interceptions. Wow. That's actually, that's actually a worse stat line from an interception standpoint than you gave him last week against Dallas. All right. 17 to 29. Listen, obviously, if I'm go- calling for a Giants victory, I got to push this needle a little bit. I don't think it's too much different. You know, I'm going to go... 19 of 28 for 240, two touchdowns, one pick. That's where I'm going to go there. That'll, that'll, that's going to do it for this one, man. This has been a fantastic episode for us. We couldn't have been any more appreciative to Scott Mason for coming on with us. We are calling for different stat lines. It's a chance for Adam to get back into the season series and tie things back up after last week's prediction against Dallas because I, I was drunk, Andy. I didn't tell anybody, but I, I, I was – I had been drinking heavily that day when I made my prediction. So that's why that's why that came and out. And it that showed. And yeah. It, and it showed. We're going to be uh, front and center watching together this Sunday, my friend. We are indeed. And and the one thing that I will say that I always say at the end of every episode has a little bit of a different meaning this time. And I think it's go big blue. That's going to do it, folks. We'll catch up with you next week, hopefully following a Giants victory or just some positive takeaways. And as always, this has been one giant podcast.